Yeah, it's nothing like too heady. I hope, and if it is, <laughs> we'll refresh. If you if you're gonna need my bank account like checking and or like account and routing numbers, I'll have to go get my like get my documents that I I don't know them off the top of my head. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you'll hand them off to the armed man standing outside your building. Okay, perfect, perfect. This episode has been recorded weeks in advance, so if anything sounds weird or completely out of place, that's why. Welcome, fanatics. This is the latest entry in the Diary of Doom. I'm Dylan, and join me as we look back on the rich history of doom metal and its sister sounds based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week, we'll have a different guest to spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and whatever shady podcast streaming app you want to use. If you have a question or want to pitch something or just feel like giving me some shit, you can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com. Legacy. It's a word that people love to fucking throw around because of the emotional gravity it carries. It always begs the question, what will my legacy be? It's the crux to which virtually all badly written villains in fiction are bound to. And in our reality, our own legacy as a species is already rife with problems. Legacy to many seems to be financial stability or control that ensuring your name and bloodline is continued on. For many others, the idea of legacy just isn't practical. Far too many of us are at the mercy of the world around us to even begin to think about what kind of path will I lay out for the ones that follow, whether related or not. We're just too damn busy worrying about things in the moment, and in particular things that shouldn't be occupying so much of our time. Work, rent, groceries, insurance, bills, blah blah blah. And so we find other ways to leave an impact behind in some way, shape, or form, no matter how big or small, or how many people it reaches. For a musician, the idea of legacy will always be the albums and the songs they produce. It's the art by which they want to be remembered by. What about the rest of us in the heavy music scene? What will we have to offer beyond being fans of music and boasting a big record collection, or maybe a website? For me personally, I try not to dwell too hard on these things, but having done 150 plus episodes of Diary of Doom, I can't really deny there is some sort of legacy to this podcast. I've never touted this to be a professional or even a well-done podcast, but I can say that I do it out of passion and because I like to talk too much. So if there is any trace of legacy to be found in Diary of Doom, I hope it would be that the people that came on felt welcomed and comfortable and that they didn't have to just promote their album. They could be and speak for themselves. I look back on this and think to myself, you know what? I did all that. 
from humble beginnings as an Instagram page to a whole mess of episodes, photographs, and navigating an entire year without live music and beyond. It's been a bit of a ride. So I thank each and every listener, supporter, contact, artist, musician, and guest who has come on to Diary of Doom for the last almost three years to make this thing a reality and leave behind what I hope to be just a small legacy in the greater heavy music world. And to do so, I've managed to rope in a guest who probably has this on the bottom of their list of things to do, but most certainly will be leaving behind an artistic legacy with a lot more integrity than what I'm doing. Uh, So I'm very happy to welcome Sean McVeigh from King Buffalo to uh, Diary of Doom and to help celebrate 150 chapters. Hello. Happy to be here. Thank you. I was like, man, I hope he doesn't start like crying or something. That would be awkward. Yeah, well, make for good television. (laughs) Obviously, I think uh, most people probably know who King Buffalo are. If you don't, they are a heavy psych rock band. Uh, who's released a number of albums to a lot of acclaim over the last few years. Uh, I think, what, like three (laughs) in the last, like, maybe like two days or something like that. (laughs) But uh, they've been very active. They're based out of Rochester, and they've been going at it since 2013, um, unless I have something wrong in there. That is correct. That is the first form that King Buffalo took, um, 2013. We did that demo that's kind of floating around that had a few songs on it. And we were a four piece at the time, actually. Shortly after that, the, our other member, Randall, life was kind of pulling him in a different direction. He ended up moving away. He moved to Philadelphia and we parted as good buds and he's still a dear friend to this day. Uh, and then we moved on as a, as a three piece. I kind of consider really the unofficial start really 2016 when we released Orion is I think really that's like where we kind of figured out what we were going to figured it out as a band, you know? Uh, Well, the first time that I heard about King Buffalo was from a Psycho Las Vegas 2018 uh, playlist. And I guess I probably also saw you on the bill and I heard the song Orion in the playlist and I was like, damn, that fucking rules. I hope I get to see this band. And um, you know, it's a weekend in Vegas, so due to scheduling and whatnot, we didn't get a chance to see you, which in the grand scheme of things, I think is okay, since you've been touring so much. I did get to see you, I think, later that year at the Mercury Lounge, where I took a uh, stray elbow to the face and split my right eyebrow open, which is a strange thing to happen at a show as calm as yours. Yeah, that is pretty bizarre. I think you're the first injury I've heard of at a King Buffalo <laughs> show. It was so, purely accidental. It was not like okay. There was, there was no secret fight that happened. That's funny. The last time we were at Mercury Lounge, it got a little bit like uh, there was probably more moshing than I would ever expect. It was kind of interesting. But uh, that was our most recent time at Mercury, which is what the spring, the fall of twenty twenty one. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's all uh, time. It doesn't really. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, leading up to all that for yourself like what are your earliest experiences with music did you have a musical upbringing or did you find it on your own later on i wouldn't say i had like a musical upbringing but my mom was definitely very like supportive of it like i've always like been in love with music and making noises i was kind of like a loud little kid you know and i was always like whether i was banging on pots and pans or singing or whatever um, I was always making noise and she, so she knew that I was like 
kind of interested in these things. So she's like, okay, well, you know, tried to get me into all like this school activities involving music, um, which I did to, you know, kind of begrudgingly, but also, also you know, at the same time, I, I was able to get some enjoyment out of it. But no one else in the family was really a musician. Uh, she, you know, she just knew I liked it and was pretty good at it. So was very supportive. I think like the first one of the first memories I have of like falling in love with like other, you know, besides just making noise as like a little kid was one of my first memories was I was probably around like four or five and I was riding in the back seat and my mom was listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And um, it was the song Ohio. And I just remember like loving that song for some reason, which is like really funny looking back on it. And I was like, it's a little kid and I'm in the backseat, like singing like four dead in Ohio. And I'm like, this is like the greatest thing I've ever heard. And so from there, it's just a constant rotating list of things that I, I got into at different times. When do you think you discovered heavy music? And do you have a landmark album that, you know, you think kind of changed the way you looked at it you know and it doesn't have to be like uh metal because i mean king buffalo is not a metal band it's there's but i'm i'm sure there's some metal influence in there somewhere yeah i mean there definitely is i think i don't this is going to be hilarious i think the first recorded piece of music that i ever bought with my own money that i earned from like chores and mowing lawns was the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I was like 12, I think, 11, maybe. It was. I was pretty young. And that thing still slaps. I still have the cassette. It's amazing. It and there's, awesome. obvious, there's like some metal stuff on there. You know, everyone knows the Mortal Kombat theme song. There's like, I think like Fear Factory was on there. Like Napalm Death, I think. I don't know. There was, there was definitely some metal on there. Uh, Geezer. I think I think it was Geezer Butler, but I believe he had a track on there that was like really metal, like very very metal, like guttural, like screaming. Like I don't think he was singing, of course, but oh yeah, uh, it had that. It was one of his weird, one of those weird side projects. I just heard about this on the Toilet of Hell podcast, and it was this strange side project that geezer butler did and it was spelled g-z-r so like you know basically just yeah geezer yeah so oh, and, and burton c bell was in it so that was probably my first like so i grew up you know i was always listening to whatever like there used to actually be like rock radio stations in rochester when i was a kid that they don't really exist anymore there's like some independent ones but um so i was always listening to like the radio and stuff but there in particular, there was one independent station, which is still around. It's called, it was 90.5 FM WBER and they're still around. And that's where like in the late mid to late nineties, they were, they were starting to play. Like they were some of the first people to like start playing new metal. And so I, I definitely was like of that age, I definitely got into new metal. I loved like corn and system of a down and Limp Bizkit and like all that stuff. And then, but I didn't really get into like, heavy music is like a thing like I didn't feel like I could do it until I heard I was like digging around I was 14 I was digging around in my attic and I found like a box of old records and I found uh Black Sabbath's Paranoid and that's when I like I was like huh you know like I hear all the you know the grandpas talk about Black Sabbath you know I didn't didn't really listen to it and I like went and like I had by that time I had commandeered the family turntable 
put it on and like started had headphones and I put it on and listened to it. I'm like, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever heard. Probably like everyone who's ever heard that record who's been on your show. Um, and it was incredible. And uh, that was when it like, I don't know, like it really resonated with me in a way that felt like, oh yeah, this is like, this is like something I'm into. And then from there, like I got really into like Tom Morello's guitar playing and uh, which he kind of had sort of like a bit of like, you know, emphasis on like rhythm and just big riffs sort of, I think kind of cousins stylistically, of course, like Brad Wilk went on to play with Black Sabbath. So that was like pretty cool, like mm -hmm. circle. I don't know. I'm kind of like meandering into all these, all this stuff, but I, I, yeah, that was like a lot of what I did. Like when I got my first guitar, uh, when I was 15, I didn't, it was a total surprise. I had never asked for a guitar or anything, but again, like my mom was like very supportive every time my uncle had had a couple guitars and I'd go over there. He's not really like a much of a musician, but he always liked the guitar and liked singing songs about like, farts and stuff you know he's like kind of like a goofy fun party guy whenever we'd go over there i'd always like find myself like wandering over the guitar and like i had no idea what i was doing but i was trying to play um and so it was for my for when i was 15 or 14 going on 15 it was christmas um she surprised me with uh my my christmas present that year was the ibanez gax 70 beginner's guitar um that like i think they sold them at like walmart and stuff you know it's like you know immediately like that was like total life-changing moment i got that and uh you know I'd fart around with it i didn't know what any of the knobs really did on the little practice amp but i did find i remember when i found the distortion button on the amp i remember i pushed that button for the first time and i just started like like not actually playing anything just like masturbating all over the neck of the guitar and i thought it was the coolest <laughs> sound i thought it was the coolest thing i had no idea what i was doing but i was like oh dude i sound just like eddie van halen you know like <laughs> i didn't you know but yeah but it's like the first there, time you're controlling some like that it's got to be like just like like i didn't know i could do this yeah yeah and like to me it sounded it sounded amazing you know now i think if i was to go back and like play through that same and turn it on i'd like have a brain aneurysm but like at the time i was like this is perfect like, this is what rock guitar sounds like man so you know, i was like the coolest thing and then i just would spend from there you know any ask any hope that my mom had of me like getting seriously like trying to do well in school was over because it became like i get home from school and i I play my guitar until dinner time and then I eat dinner and then I go and I play my guitar until I go to sleep. And they're just like playing along to whatever record I was really into at the time. So once you picked up the guitar and uh, got accustomed with it and whatnot, did you just start looking to form a band, join bands? Like what were you up to before King Buffalo became kind of your main vehicle because uh i i understand maybe you or somebody else somebody else in the band is involved in some other projects up there in the rochester scene we've all been in different bands up here none of us are really doing any side project stuff mm -hmm. now but no i i actually I, I joined my first band i was in a couple goofy like bands with my friends in high school and the first one i joined because i was taking like a driver's ed class and the kid next to me was like, I, I don't even know how it came up, but he was like, wait, you have a guitar? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, do you want to be in my band? And I was like, okay. I didn't know what that meant, you know? <laughs> um, 
and so like we hung out and we we were a band we had you know he had or he already had he was playing he had a guitar he had a badass bc rich warlock he had we had he had a drummer and a bass player that he was playing with and so i came as the second guitar player and you know that was the first band we, we were called sprout we played the high school talent show and it did not go well um <laughs> what kind of music was it was it just like just oh it was like rock? that was like new metal like we covered like system of a down we only played covers and i think we only played one song and it was system of a down it was spiders uh by system of a down off their i think their first record that's funny um, sprout has like a total jam band vibe to it i yeah i i don't i didn't name the band i just went along with it but i am pretty confident that i wore like goofy like late 90s like brightly colored camouflage you know, like something really stupid that that yes. that my buddy who like the one who was like you want to be in my band he was like yo so we have to you have to wear this you have to wear this for the show and i was like cool dude you know like <laughs> and i did and i probably i think i looked like a complete moron but you should bring that back. um maybe it's probably you know the 90s are back yeah so you know and then i had just like a kind of a rotating cast of of high school bands really from there you know as people decide they don't want to do it anymore or you know you meet new friends um and then i went to college i went to uh suny fredonia uh for sound recording technology and i kind of got out of i didn't stop playing guitar but i stopped performing i, di I didn't really like want to deal with like forming a band i was like more into at that point learning about studio stuff and i got into like like trying to be a like make beats and work on like i got into like like studio tricks indie rock and stuff like that and, I, and like i didn't really do the band thing at all for that four years and it wasn't until i left college and moved back home that i ran into another buddy of mine who was looking for actually uh, a keyboard player and i said oh i guess i could try to do that and i fumbled around a little bit and then i was like oh well, what if i played guitar on this song instead of keyboard and then it slowly transitioned to how about i just play guitar and not keyboard <laughs> and, that, <laughs> uh, and that sort of thing which like was probably kind of a dick move but you're young you you, you do stupid things and, and and you learn so uh we did that for i was in that band for a few years and then that same drummer that we you know of course like broke up we thought it would be a good idea if we all rented a house together so we could be really productive which was like a recipe for disaster and just meant like we were all like in our early 20s just like partying and acting like idiots and not really getting any work done and not really taking the band seriously so we, we eventually broke up and it's fine but me and that drummer started another project that ended up becoming a band called abandoned buildings club and that is where, we, after a while, we brought Dan in to play bass. That's where I met Dan, who currently plays bass in King Buffalo. That's how I met him, uh, was he was friends. So we had two drummers in Abandoned Buildings Club. Uh, he was friends with the other founding drummer. And the other founding drummer kept saying, like, you have to, you have to get Dan. You have to bring Dan in. He's really good. He's, it's going to be great. Like, you guys are going to hit it off. It's going to be awesome. I kept, I was really hesitant for a while because I had seen some of their old bands and I was like, I don't want this to become like your, you know, your other band that stylistically, it was a lot different, but then after a while, it was like, kind of obvious, like, yeah, we, we should, we should give it a shot. And then like immediately it was like, oh, this dude's like a killer bass player. We've been playing together ever since. So 
uh, we did abandoned buildings club for a few years. Uh, and then we both came to did King Buffalo together as well. What is it like to graduate from like a localized scene in Rochester, um, to now, uh, a worldwide music scene with a very passionate fan base? I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely weird. Cause like, I don't feel like there was ever like a graduation. You kind of like get old, right? Like, like, <laughs> like there's still a scene here and, and there's still a lot of like killer bands and killer musicians, but like, I don't really know what's happening like in the scene because like I'm 37 now, you know, like I, I can't like, I can't go to shows every night. Like I used to, and they've also gotten way more expensive than they used to be, used to be able to go and spend like $4 at the door and get like a dollar PBR and like you, you could, you could party and have a good night. So I'm a little out of touch as far as like what, what's happening in the local scene, but abandoned buildings club and velvet Elvis, that was Scott's other band. We were kind of like both, we were all peers, similar genre, same sort of thing in the scene, but we both broke up around the same time. And then that's when King Buffalo formed and we formed because Velvet Elvis had just made a record and had just printed a bunch of vinyl. And then they broke up right before it was going to be released. And so they, they were stuck with all these records. So Scott reached out and was like, Hey, can you like come and you and Dan, like, can we learn Velvet Elvis songs so we can tour as you know, and sell these freaking records? Cause I don't want to be stuck with them forever. And we said, okay. And then we never actually learned the songs. We just kind of started jamming. And like after a while, after like a few weeks, it was like, well, why don't we just be a band and write our own songs? And then we hit the road within a month. We were touring immediately, borrowed my uncle's RV because the van we were going to take broke down right before, like literally two days before the tour. And we were like, oh man, we're totally, we're totally fucked. Like, what are we going to do? And so I called my uncle and I begged him and he was so stoked and so generous and he let us take it and then so we hit the road and we ended up picking up all them witches uh at the time and this was again 2013 and so we did a tour our first tour together was with them before anyone knew or care about either of our bands um and so we knew from the beginning that we were always going to be touring so we never really focused too much on like playing too much locally so i don't know how if i'm if i'm like touching on the question you asked any, at this point anymore. But so we knew we would always want to be touring. So we just kind of focused on that and we did it a lot. We'd play locally every few, you know, few months, maybe twice a year. And I mean, as much as I love, I love Rochester. I love the people here. I love the scene here. It is small. Like it's never going to be enough to like, you know, pay the bills, you know, the, the Rochester music scene. So we never really focused too much on like putting too much eggs in the basket of like, really like having a re a local scene pull if that makes sense it does and i guess like just sort of like my follow-up would be like you know it just seems like you're obviously you have like a loyal fan base like here in the states but it seems like you it just blew up overseas like it just seems like people like we're just like holy shit this fucking band like needs to come play in europe like right now <laughs> the amount of like positive feedback we get from europe and support from Europeans is incredible. And I, and in general, I just definitely think the music scene is way different over there than it is in the States. There, there is countless small to medium sized festivals dedicated to underground rock music, whether it's like specifically psychedelic rock or specifically stoner rock or specifically doom. There is a huge groundswell of support for, for anything adjacent to that 
over there that doesn't really exist in the same capacity here as far as just like festivals and podcasts journalists it just seems to be definitely a thing that's it is a little bigger over there than it is in the states so you kind of touched upon like uh, you obviously you explained like how the band came together um and you know since you formed since then it, you know king buffalo has just gotten more active and more prolific um you know we'll talk about your ambitious album release project we'll call it but like you know for you like what does it take for a band to remain consistent like that you know barring the fact that we all suddenly had a large space of time appearing before us uh you know in the shape of a global pandemic that shut everything down that is honestly what allowed us to to be as like productive as we were during the past during the past few years um we would not have done released three records within we made three we, we would not have been able to record three records in the span of one year had we not been forced to not be able to tour and so honestly up until that point like i it was something it was the kind of thing that i definitely had wished we were moving moving a little faster but it was you know it was difficult you're touring uh, we had jobs like day jobs this didn't become like a full-time gig uh until i mean for me it's been about me and scott it's been longer dan wasn't able to and i think until like the past year or two two years maybe again time it's it's been a big blur but so for a long time you know we were doing like double triple duty you know uh working a day job trying to tour trying to practice trying to record our own records trying to you know maintain relationships and homes and like not go insane so it, that was definitely a struggle for the first big chunk of time uh as a band we were just lucky to, that that we were all on the same page about trying to make the best use of our time once COVID hit and touring got shut down we didn't really know what we were going to be able to do um, we were blessed to have a very large room that we could practice in where we could stay really far apart and we had put up like a plastic barrier around the drums and we would wear masks and all this stuff and so we were able to we were able to get together and meet up which i know a lot a lot of people weren't with whoever was going on in their specific region we kind of got lucky with we in general really are just a product of a whole lot of luck really whether it's mm -hmm. one thing or another it just seems to like we've kind of lucked into a lot of situations I don't think people anticipated, uh, you know, King Buffalo suddenly turning into this, like, I'm like wearing their shirt, but almost like this clutch like entity where it's just like album tour, 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 album tour, tour, tour. And, you know, obviously there were like odd circumstances and it was just like, holy shit, this is really fucking ambitious. And like you played in a, a cave, <laughs> like mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was Scott's idea. And it was really difficult. I'm really happy we did it and I'm proud of the product. You know, I'm proud of the record. I don't know if I ever want to make a record like that again. <laughs> uh, you know, like it was a long day. We did it all in one day in the cave. You know, we, we loaded in in the morning. We were there for 12 hours, loaded in, brought a like a small recording rig and a camera crew and an audio, you know, like and just got it in, set it up did a couple takes of each song packed it up and it was like it was one of the hardest things we've ever done so i'm pretty really proud with how it came out 
Um, but that was so difficult, man. That, and uh, that was that was Scott's idea to do a record in a cave. <laughs> where, where was it again? Uh, it was a how how's caverns or how caverns in um, in a house cave, New York, I believe is the town. Um, it's actually, I believe, like the second biggest uh, natural attraction in New York State next to Niagara Falls. So there's Niagara Falls is huge and that's like big and then this is like it's a it's actually a really really big fucking cave <laughs> um, so yeah. i love that it's like this beautiful majestic waterfall what's the next attractive thing this hole in the ground <laughs> oh it's it's a but big it fucking like hole in the ground it's a, like it's <laughs> it's huge um and then it's like apparently some like old family who's been here for hundreds of years like it's their land like it's private land and like there's a there's a what was at one point like the family mansion 200 years ago or whatever is now like the main like reception lodge and like go and like, you take an elevator like 100 feet 150 feet like down into this cave and it's just like this massive cavern oh wow that actually sounds really cool uh, sarcasm retracted yeah i'm a, although i will say i'm a little bit like you know which one to use batman you know like come on like you have this, yeah, right, like, like big you know. mansion, <laughs> yeah. cave right next to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, you know, but it's never too late. You know? And I mean, you've also toured pretty intensely uh, since the opportunity to do so opened back up. It's like just this year alone, I've seen you opening for Uncle Acid and then filling in at Desert Fest, New York. You know, before that was with Clutch and Stoner. What's the touring landscape been like, you know, for you since it opened back up? Is it like, you know, I know everyone's on tour right now or, you know, or at least when I'm recording this and, uh, you know, I've still got tickets lined up for down the year for shows and, you know, everyone's on tour right now. And it's like kind of insane just because uh, you're like playing catch up for all these years. So suddenly it's like, damn, I'm going to like a concert every weekend, sometimes during the week, too. And especially being here in a hub like uh, New York, people are always going to stop by. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because a lot of the shows are reschedules from stuff that you had booked pre-COVID. So you did something that was you were supposed to do two years ago. So that's been pretty interesting. Uh, but it's honestly, it's been fantastic. I, I uh, it was a really scary time when when everything got shut down, because, you know, as I don't know how much you how many of your fans, your listeners know, but like touring is really the only way to to like stay economically viable, financially viable, like as a band, really like it, at least in our like the way we found like it's tough. And so when that got shut down, we were like very got very kind of worried about like, you know, I, I had quit my job, I think a year or two before that. And it was, and so it was like, are we going to even, you know, am I going to have to go back to that job that I hated? Um, you know, are we gonna have to do this stuff? And we ended up doing okay. And honestly, the amount of support we received from there that like really like our shows are way better now than they've ever been. Like, you know, they're bigger. We had the, the, the crowds are fantastic. It's been incredible. We feel like incredibly going back to being like super lucky like it's just so cool some of the places we've gotten to play like on this last european tour we played in the on the top of a mountain in the alps um it was in, you know amazing we just played burning man yeah uh, I, 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 <laughs> like I, I uh, it down what is that like to play burning man you know like 
it was one of the coolest experiences of my life, hands down. Like it would be on the Mount Rushmore of of experiences in my life. I loved it so much. Um, it was incredibly difficult. The elements, you know, like it, it is like a hostile environment. You know, like there's mm-hmm. dust everywhere. It's getting in all of your pedals and your guitar into your like throat and lungs. So like trying to t- sing is like not easy. But it was so cool. It was fantastic. I um, yeah, I loved it. Like, I know you've also played Freak Valley Fest back in like 2019, Mm -hmm. you know, going out and touring the country, touring the world, you know, besides the cool opportunities to play, uh, do you have any other like notable experiences or like crazy weird shit happened to you like during that time? I mean, there's always crazy weird shit that happens. (laughs) Let me see it. So we've played, we've played in I think just about the most extreme weather outdoor shows like you can kind of ever play. Um, we played in the snow once in Montreal outdoors, which was hilarious. Uh, we played in like the hottest sun ever in direct sunlight on the beach with no like canopy or anything in Sardinia. Oh, you got to play Duna Jam? We did Duna Jam. Yeah, uh, that was in... Uh, I want to go to that so bad. It was really nice, man. Um, it's a really cool festival. It just feels like, uh, you know, it's like very intimate. You know, everyone there is like, it's like a very like tight knit group. And obviously you're in like an absolutely like beautiful place. Like the the, the terrain is amazing. The, be- the We played right on the beach, but it was hot as fuck <laughs> when we played. <laughs> like it was laughable. You know, I'm just like covered in sunscreen. I'm just like, just like pouring all over my guitar my guitar had like a white film of melted sunscreen and sweat over it when (laughs) i was done but it was yeah another one that was like super difficult but was really awesome and like wouldn't trade it for anything you know for you as a a music fan what's been a personal highlight since you started king buffalo i think opening doing that clutch run was that was like a you know when it when it first got locked in I'd be a liar if I said I didn't like get kind of like all misty eyed, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it was elephant riders was the unofficial like soundtrack of my high school experience. It's like, you know, me and my stoner homies, you know, we, that's what would we do on the weekends? We'd pile in my buddy's Chevy suburban and we'd crank that record and we'd, you know, medicate ourselves and then go bowling or like go party in a field. Like I grew up kind of out in the country. So there wasn't like a ton of stuff to do. It'd be like, we're going to go have a bonfire in the middle of a field. We're going we're gonna to go bowling or go get a bunch of donuts from Krispy Kreme and each eat a dozen donuts to our face while we're just baking out this suburban listening to Elephant Riders. Um, so it was definitely like, it was very like kind of surreal to be like, you know, this band that like greatly shaped a lot of my formative years and like my musical taste and all this stuff, like I'm going to be opening for them on tour. That was uh it was very like surreal, like sort of full circle moment. I had to like, I had to text the, the guys like, dude, I'm, I'm opening for clutch. Like I'm going to be like touring with clutch. <laughs> and it was really cool. I'm sure they were just like, Whoa. Yeah. Very stoked. Um, well, that's really cool. That's really fucking rad. Yeah. I imagine that's like what a lot of people must think where they're like, man, I grew up like listening to these bands and now I have an opportunity to like, go on tour with them and that's i you know i i like uh i like when clutch brings along a band that you know doesn't really sound i mean there are there is no band that sounds like clutch um 
but it's a good way to just like build that up and there they are in all their clutch glory and all their Maryland glory. Yeah, it was it was super cool, man. And like, you know, I it was hard for me not to like fanboy out. I I think I had to say to Neil at one point, like, all right, so this is gonna be my fanboy moment. I'm just gonna like talk at you about how amazing and you are and like how you guys were the soundtrack of my high school experience. I had to like, had to, like get it out. And then I'm like, okay, we're done. I'm done now. I'm not going to, I won't bother you like that. <laughs> and Neil's anymore. like, you sure, man? You sure? No, he was, he was totally cool. He was just like, cool, man. That's awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, besides clutch, like what is something that would probably surprise your fans that you're a fan of? Mm. Well, I already said Limp Biscuit, but I've been hyping up that train for a long time now. Um, <laughs> it's hard for me to think of what would be surprising. Um, Cause I think like, I honestly do think a lot of people in this scene, a lot of, a lot of musicians that play in this genre have like really diverse taste in music. And so there's not a lot that's like, mm -hmm. that would be that surprising. Um, I love like weird, like blips and bloops music, if, you know, <laughs> like kind of like uh, weird noises, um, I, I don't know. I guess I don't know if I have anything that's shocking. I, I also do love like, oh, okay, this might be a surprising thing. Like, I think Third Eye Blind is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there you go. That's yeah. one. Like, that one record, the, the record, the one with like, what, Semi-Charm Life and yeah. like Jumper on it. That is like, and I told you I got into like studio stuff. Like, it's like a perfect pop rock record, you know? Like, it, like it knew what it was and it did it, you know? Um, so I, I do have a taste for like, like very pop things at, at times. Um, that would probably be a good surprising one. I like the Eagles. I love the Eagles. You know, the Eagles are awesome. Um, <laughs> Am I supposed to like do the Big Lebowski quote now? <laughs> I mean, you could, you, you know, it's totally fine. <laughs> Excellent. I remember said semi-charm kind of like defined her life perfectly um don't think she ever touched a single drug up until her life at that point so i was like huh <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say, i was a little bit like red flag and then <laughs> and they're like no she didn't do drugs which is still i don't know that makes it almost weirder yeah, yeah. it was very bizarre <laughs> i was like you know this song is about a lot of drugs right <laughs> yeah that's honestly one of the things i loved about it it's just like the heinous story of like addiction and depravity and it's got like middle-aged house housewives like do 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 like bopping along to it like in their in their like you know suvs driving the kids to soccer practice and i thought that was amazing you know? <laughs> it is a pretty decent troll i gotta say yeah besides music though i do understand that you're a fan of fishing or angling uh i that completely took me by surprise is there any bond between music and fishing for you a little bit i actually i used an analogy recently when someone was asking about like when do you know when like a some when a song is done or like when to give up an on an idea or something and i made an analogy to fishing and i actually like i kind of i hadn't really thought of it like this before but it kind of came to me in the moment but one of the things i learned from fishing is like you know if you're in a spot that you think is the perfect spot to catch fish and you're trying to catch fish and you're not catching any fish just move right like you could force it like you know, one of the things when I was younger and or getting, you know, early in my fishing career 
you know you'd stay there and you're like i know there's fucking fish here i saw i saw him jump i know it i just gotta change it's the bait i gotta use a different bait i gotta use a different lure i gotta do this and it's like no sometimes you just need to move uh i do think like there are lessons to be you can find lessons for anything and anything you're doing and any other thing so it's like okay like don't if you have this riff that you think is you know you're really into but you can't quite make it right instead of forcing it just move on to something different just stop and move to a different move to a different place and like try something different come up with a different record it on your little phone and save it for later who knows maybe in two years you'll be listening back through some voice memos and you'll be like oh i finally know what to do with this i i honestly what i really like the most about it about like going fishing and, and this is off of the allegorical thing now but it just i mean it is very relaxing it's you know it's it's very like calming thing and it, it kind of helps my brain to like zero in on like things that are happening right now right so yeah when you're fishing you have to, you're thinking about like what temperature is the water what's the wind like where is it coming from where's the sun what's you know you see a little tree over there where oh you flock of birds that are clearly like feeding on some bait fish over there so uh as opposed to like thinking of the big picture of i'm sitting in a park looking at a lake right like it helps to like for me to like zero in on little things and be more like present in whatever moment i'm in at any particular time and that's got to help too when you're like in the zone working on a song too it's kind of the same thing where you're like you're going through it you're playing through it maybe something needs to be changed here maybe you work in that a little maybe like even like a portion of that riff that you were you know uh struggling with before you you could put in uh a sample might work here this is where the keys go i imagine it's kind of similar or at least it can help you in that regard yeah yeah it's just you know it's it's good brain exercise i think mm -hmm. and like really like fresh air is good for everybody you know like it's 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 important sun and fresh air like can, can help with uh, help with a lot of things as well as like the brain activity that comes with it i like that analogy a lot i think it works very well so besides the new album regenerator which is really good everyone should go check it out actually quick side tangent so like you know i was like looking at the album names here like they kind of they must follow a bit of a theme because like you know burner of restlessness we're all stuck inside and like regenerator kind of like we're you know you're coming back to life you're going out you're doing your thing i'm not really sure how like what acheron might be in reference to i'm not up to date on my mythology behind the name but i i mean i think it's like a nice trilogy that sort of like probably has like some loose thematic elements to it but is there are you working on something new? Was there anything that didn't make it into these albums that maybe is going to pop up down the, the line? Are you, are you, I know you're in between tour stops like at the moment, right? Like as of this recording. Yeah. As of this recording, I'm home for six days and then I go back out on tour. Yes. There is a lot of stuff that didn't make the three records. There's no plans to do anything with it now. Um, a lot of it's very like, you know, it's still in like, demo phase you know like it's it's really raw so there's nothing to like there's there's no songs that were finished that were left on the cutting room floor whether we ever go back to them i don't know it's the kind of thing like i was saying before sometimes trying to like force something that like maybe like we had the mad you know we had it figured out for like that demo but it's been almost two it's been two years now since we over over two years over two years 
right? Because we we started those in like March of 2020, April yeah. of 2020. So yeah, over two years. So like getting everything to line up to to be able to recreate that from two and a half years ago could be could be tough and it could be more of a headache than it's worth. So there's stuff to go through and maybe we'll do something with it. There's we have not been working on anything new. We've just been all of our attention and focus has really been on touring. And I'm sure at some point we'll start getting the itch to start working on something new again. But uh, for now, I think it's been really, it's been really fun to sort of shift to, you know, playing all this stuff live. Because even, so we did the three records with Regenerator being the last, but we had released another record, Dead Star, in early March, 2020 as well. So like we've had, now we have four records out since we've been to a, you know, a, uh, a lot of places, so, you know, so it, there's, a, it's been cool to like focus on playing those live and figuring out how we're going to write set lists and um, how we're going to play some of this stuff. So it's been, it's been really fun. And I don't, I don't know if we're going to change off of that anytime super soon. You've got a library to pull from now. Yeah. I, we kind of like doubled our output in like two years and which is, awesome but and now like i said it's it's hilarious because we we get asked like to play certain songs on tour and it's like we only we can't we only have so much time you know right right, um, right. so uh, it's tough but it's a good problem to have it is well have you been uh listening to anything lately that you've been really enjoying a friend of mine recommended a band called cobra man to me that was pretty cool um it's like very sort of like 80s sort of uh sounds like it would be like the soundtrack to like a b movie so that was pretty fun there was a band we played with uh we did a couple festivals with them in europe recently that i had never heard of that was awesome they're called rotor man they had there's a there's there's a couple songs and i can't pronounce any of the names because they're all in think they're german but they were so they were they were killer so i've been going through and listening to to you know their stuff and um highly recommend it was awesome uh slow mosa was another band that i really enjoyed um their sets when we were over there i honestly i like to sort of i get into like bands that we like show up to a festival with and and i've never heard and then they play and they're like oh this is cool and then i immediately like add it into my thing to listen to on the drive the next day and so that's mostly where i'm getting my my suggestions nowadays i have to check that out um they sound pretty cool yeah slow mosa was is, is great too they're like they're them i they, know yeah yeah okay yeah 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 i mean with the name like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> recording this shortly after i did the recording uh from the day you know this is just like right after i've done another one so i haven't had a ton of time to listen to anything like uh new you know obviously the new king buffalo album regenerator but uh, i was just checking out um, the band Zeke, uh, if you don't know them, uh, Jeff Matz, who's in High on Fire, and Etoid Man, uh, he was in that band for a stint, listened to their album Super Sound Racing, and I was listening to some Earth, because I think Earth's calling it quits probably within the coming years or so. <laughs> um, can't blame the man, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's led an interesting wild life. Um, but I was just listening to their old stuff today, Penistar and Hibernaculum, great albums. And uh, I bought uh, From the Ages by Earthless on cassette, and I was listening to that last night while I was editing some pictures. Cool. So that's what I've been listening to, and uh, 
who knows if I'll have anything interesting to say uh, in this, <laughs> just because I've been doing so many of these this week. So, well, do you have anything that you'd like to plug or promote at this time? You know, you're uh, obviously by the time this podcast comes out, uh, way down the line, you'll have been on tour and probably back, probably going on another tour. Um, but is there anything that you want to like let people know about that might be coming uh, in 2023 or before the end of the year? We will probably, by the time this comes out, we'll probably be done touring for 2022 for this year. But I believe we're finalizing plans um, and we'll have stuff to announce for 2023. Um, maybe by then, I'm not sure. Um, but I know we're going to have a busy 2023 as well. So um, if people are interested in catching us live, uh, check out our website or follow us on social media. And I'm sure we'll have announcements um, and hopefully we're coming to a city near you. Well, thank you for taking the time out to do this special episode with me. Do you have, do you have any questions for me? <laughs> I never, I never like answer questions on here. Uh, so this is a hundred, this is the 150th episode. Yeah. I mean, I've probably, probably there are 150 episodes before this. Cause there's been like bonuses and stuff like that. So, but yeah, we'll just say yes. Cool. Well, cause I'd like just, that's a good number. So it, yeah. just, it, it seems like a landmark number. So thanks for having me for this landmark 150th episode of diary of doom. Awesome. I'm glad I don't have to answer any questions. <laughs> <laughs> are you yeah. from Brooklyn originally? Well, I was born in New York City, but I was uh, quickly ushered off to the uh, real, the true motherland of New Jersey. That's where I was. Ah. Um, so I've, I've returned to my roots, so to speak. Wow. Well, it's very brave of you. Yeah. You know, it's one bad <laughs> accent being now traded. Another bad yeah. Accent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it, I don't know, like growing up in both in New Jersey, you're right here. You kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you understand that, man, I hope I don't get any flack for this, but you understand that New Yorkers from the city have a lot more in common with the people of the state, or at least of the northern part of New Jersey, than they do with the rest of the state, it seems. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think us Western New Yorkers would agree with you on that. <laughs> I mean, you're just, there's just a, they're a lot more polite, <laughs> a lot more like, we'll wave at you, we'll smile, and everyone here is just like, get out of my way, gotta go, gotta go, make a lane. <laughs> it's, it's a busy place, it a lot is. going on. It is, but I like being here, and there's, you know, lots of, you know, obviously lots of opportunities to see really cool shows, and totally. know, there's a ton of, like, really cool local bands and everything, so can't think of a place i'd rather be to you know be able to like do this and take part in it so i'm thankful i'm thankful for that on my end and um yeah that's great to say before i before i grow any kind of uh further ego out of this so <laughs> um, once again thank you uh this has been sean from king buffalo um this was fucking rad and a great way to bring about the 150th episode of it and uh see where it goes from here thanks a lot for having me man this has been a blast congratulations on 150 episodes here's to 150 more awesome thank you that'll do it for this chapter of the diary
doom, which backwards means mood, M-O-O-D. <laughs> it is a huge mood. It's really been a, a long time kind of down that stoner rock path. Like that's kind of what I listen to more than anything. Or as many of my friends call it, burrito metal. now and a little bit slower so we don't need we don't need it to be so fast and so hectic all the time so i just feel like we've all kind of gravitated towards it's still heavy as fuck but just not as not as hectic you don't need that as much when you get older you know you kind of slow down so the music slows down a little bit Do you know what the movie Tetsuo the Iron Man is? <laughs> yes? Okay, well, this music is kind of like that. It's sort of the feeling I get. It's amazing to be out touring uh, and meeting up with people, standing in the merch stand and talking to people about, yeah, you know, music, but also life. It's a really cool thing with the doom metal genre. People coming from many different backgrounds and meeting up in this. It's a, it's a cool thing. Hey, am I allowed to smoke weed on here? Oh yeah, totally. I do it all cool. the time. All right, sweet. You do it right now. Even if there aren't a hundred people there, even if there's only two people there, and the bands are your friends, you know, and they're and they're just playing their heart out for you guys, and and it's just the feeling of playing rock and roll, man. It's uh, the feeling of just letting it all out. The mood of Doom is really just about kind of trying to grapple with things that are are bigger than than you can really impact. I mean. You look at a lot of the Im imagery and it's monoliths and the ocean and these vast expanses uh, of space or land that are really hard to fathom and, and make you feel really small. I guess you could say it's, it's kind of depressing to think about how insignificant you are in the universe, but I also think it's kind of comforting to realize that like it's not all on your shoulders. You're individually pretty insignificant, so you're doing the best you can.